0: Now, friends, what we're about to read is the end of a very long series of stories. Jesus has been teaching, and he has taught six stories in a row, uh, these six parables. And this is the last of six. And so we know when Jesus starts repeating himself that we're supposed to, himself, we're supposed to take that very seriously and pay attention to what he's saying. And so you may have heard this uh, as its own little piece, but just know that this is actually Uh, the highlight of of the end of a very long uh, set of stories, which I recommend that you would actually read today. Uh, But we're going to pick it up here in this last sixth story in Matthew 25. Let's share in God's good word together. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus says, one day, your master will come and settle up with you. You won't know when. You won't see it coming. And the earlier stories, he says, will be like Noah. The rain will start, but this time it just won't stop. It'll be like a thief in the night. Just shows up with no warning. It'll be like lightning out of the sky. It'll be like a bridegroom coming to start the wedding. And God will ask you, what is the return on the investment I placed in you, in your life, in your life? My name is Mark Foster. I'm the founding senior pastor here at Acts 2 United Methodist Church. And it is Commitment Sunday. Will you say that with me? Commitment Sunday. Oh, what a joy. And fear and trembling, ah, Commitment Sunday. And you all are talented people, aren't you? When I think about you, I think you are some talented people. Well, just know that with talent comes responsibility, or so says Spider-Man, right? I want you to think about your commitments for a moment. What are you most committed to? Who are you most committed to? How long do you intend to keep those commitments? Now, for me, personally, I think the longest commitments are the best commitments. Amen? Husbands, you're supposed to be saying amen at this moment. (laughs) Amen! Amen. My longest commitment, though, as much as I love Chantel, is to Jesus Christ. He placed me in my mother's womb. And he will receive me home. Now, whether he comes to me or whether I go to him, that commitment has to be first. And what is a commitment? Well, a commitment is making a promise to do something without expecting a reward. A commitment is falling in love with something and then building a structure of behavior around it for those moments when love falters, so says David Brooks in his book, Second Mountain. A commitment is making a promise to something without expecting a reward. And so often in church life, um, we will talk about commitments with sort of this expectation because we do know that God is generous. God is generous. But our commitment is not about what God's going to do, it's about our love for Him, it's about our character. Our commitments are about our character. So often, when my boys would struggle at school, someone would be mean to them or something wouldn't go their way. And, and we all have these moments, we, these feelings of retribution, um, these things where we want to make things right or we want to punish or we want to get back. We would always talk about our actions are not about the response or reaction to others. Our actions are about our character. Amen? It's about our character. It's not about what happens, it's not about the response, it's not about the reaction. So this is Commitment Sunday, and it is the day that we commit to God and with God, with one another, to live for Jesus, with all that we are, in 2020. And part of that is lived out here through the church, through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness to the world, to God be the glory. Now that should sound familiar to you, because if you're a member here, those are the things you committed to. I'm just reminding of you of that on Commitment Sunday. So we are going to see what Jesus says about the gifts he's given us, you wonderful, talented people. And if you will take out your sermon notes, we'll get started. John Ortberg says that heaven is not the sort of place where people ask the question, what is the minimal entrance requirements? Right? In heaven, we worship and adore Jesus. We're all in. We worship at his feet. We celebrate with the angels and all the saints that have gone before us. We're people who believe in the communion of saints. It's much bigger than just doing what you can get by with. And so the context of this parable of Jesus is that it is the last of six stories that Jesus tells to warn us, to tell the people listening to him, but also us today, to be ready for the coming of the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man is a a title that he used for himself, in particular when he was speaking of himself as the Messiah, as the one who will come back to judge the living and the dead, which we say every Sunday, right? It's the part of the Apostles' Creed. Since 381, the churches claimed that Jesus Christ died, is raised, and now sits at the right hand of God the Father, and every person who dies ever since will see him face to face, and they'll have a conversation about how they used their talents in this life. You wonderful, talented people. And say, Well, what'd you do? And part of that is your church life, yes, of course it is, but a lot of it's not. It's about how you live your whole life. And this story in particular, and really all the stories that Jesus tells over and over and over again, starts back in chapter 24. They demand an answer about the master. They don't answer all the questions. It demands an answer of the hearer. What do you think about God? Is he generous? Is he kind? Is he healer? Is he a way maker? Is he a miracle worker? Or is he harsh? The story demands an answer about the master. What do you think about God? That actually is the most important question of your life. Of every person on the planet. What you think of God determines the rest of your life. How you view him. Do you view him as a loving father that places you on his shoulders and takes you to places you could never see before, lifts you up out of the midst of the crowd so you can have a full view of all that he's doing, that he feeds you when you're hungry, he holds you when you're hurting, he tucks you in at night? Is that your view of God? Or is God a harsh judge that has a gavel and you're hoping it goes your way but you're not really sure? Or do you see God as sort of a one-armed bandit and a slot machine like, well, I'm going to pray. Maybe it comes. Da, 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 da. Oh, screw. Ah, da, 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 da. Oh, terrible. Oh, hey, I won something. God gave me a job. I mean, how you view God determines the rest of your life. So it's really important. Really, really important. Now, we come to this parable of the talents. And that's sort of confusing because a talent is not talent like you think of. Like, I have a talent to do this or I have a talent to do that. It's also actually not money, which is confusing because you've probably heard that it said that it was. A talent is actually a weight. Uh, In that time, in that place, a talent was a weight, and it was either a copper weight or a silver weight or a gold weight. And if it was silver, right, so your your scholarly people will say, well, it's worth a little more or a little less than 15 years' wages. Oh, my gosh, 15 years' wages? Are you kidding me? That's a lot of money. But if it was silver, so if it was copper or a little less, gold... A little more. But if it was silver, which it probably was, scholars think, what Jesus was talking about because that was common, it would be worth 15 years' wages. And I want you to think about what you make annually times 15. And the expectation of the hearer was that the return on investment didn't belong to them. They were slaves. Nothing belonged to them. They were property of the master. The return on investment belonged to the master. So whatever happens next in the story talks about the heart of how the slaves viewed the master. It's not about their shrewdness. It's not about an investment strategy. It's about what did they do in love of their master. Does this make sense? So let me ask you. What would you do if your boss gave you 15 years of your wage tomorrow? in cash, and says, hey, I'm headed out of town, I'll be back, what do you do? Well, I'm going to pray, because I've never been given that kind of money. Not that I'm opposed to it, (laughs) just hasn't happened before. So, right here in this place, when we write our address, it is 73012, our zip code. Now this is this is not hard to find out. All you got to do is Google census data for seven three zero one two. What do you think the average household income is, here, where you live, most of you? It's one hundred twenty one thousand dollars, one fifty seven. Times fifteen. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So what happens in the story? Well, slave one gets five of those, right? 5 times 121 times 15 is 9086755 Imagine your boss says, hey, here's almost $10 million. I'm going on vacation. I'll be back. Let me know how it goes. Now, some of you actually can because you run companies and organizations where that's normative. That's what you do. You, you can and so you're like, okay, i got to get in the market. i got to do some travel. i got to find some investors. i got to do this. If I'm going to turn this around and, and do what I'm expected to do, i gotta, I got to get busy because this is what I do. And, and so he yields. Not only is he given this, but he doubles it. So he yields almost $10 million for his master if, if we're making it even up here to there. What do you think the master said when he gave him $10 million? Well, what's Jesus say? He says, well done. <laughs> wait, wait, wouldn't you? Hey, I gave you $10 million, You gave me $10 million back. Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. A few things, you kidding me? I mean, that's tongue, tongue in cheek there. A few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Because how much money does God have? All of it. There's an old joke about Steve Jobs going to heaven. And uh, taking a couple of his... He's, he's turned all his money into, like, five really big gold bricks. And he brings them up, and St. Peter just laughs at him. He's like, roads here are fine, right? <laughs> Slave 2 yields $3,643,710 in today's dollars, if it's, if it's this zip code. Uh, still, for me, somebody gave me $3.6 million and said, hey, I'll be back. I'll be like, uh-huh. <laughs> I hope the market's up. I mean, what do you do, Right? And he yields it. I mean, he doubles it again. And his master says to him, "What you would expect. Well done. Read it with me. Well done. Good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. So, for all you math whizzes out there, how much was the third slave given? Come on, you can do it. Right? He's given 1.8 million dollars. And what did he give back to his boss? Nothing. He yielded nothing. Right? He just, he just gave it right back to him. And this is where the story gets a little wonky. It's not what they expected to hear. It says, Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a... What's the word? Are we still talking about the same Master. The one that out of the blue shows up and gives you a million eight and you think they're harsh. Now, granted, it wasn't yours to keep, right? It was all for the master, but he had given him a job. I mean, there's not a broken relationship here, but he sees him as a harsh man. He doesn't see him as a generous man. Reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was, what's the word? Any of y'all ever been afraid? In your house that heats itself and cools itself and cooks your food. Some of you even have gates to keep the bad people out, even though you live next to them. (laughs) Most bad stuff happens within the family, you know that. So I was afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Same master. I'm. But this guy's afraid. And I went. And what did you do? I'm going to hide. Now, when I read this story, I go right back to Genesis 3 and I think, Jesus, uh, when God comes walking in the late of the day, the cool of the evening, he says, "Hey, where are you?" And Adam and Eve say, "We're hiding." Cuz we were afraid. Cuz we're vulnerable. And God says, "Well, that's funny cuz yesterday we had a good talk and you weren't vulnerable. You were just fine. Who told you you were naked?" See, there's always this other voice in our head, isn't there, that's not generous, that's not kind. That's not God. And this is where it gets really weird because we know this generous, this loving, this incredibly, incredibly merciful God. And Jesus says this about what happens here, though. The master replies, read it with me. You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. The master is hot, not happy. And those of you who have kids, those of you who have coached sports, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You see somebody with such potential, used to drive me crazy when I would coach flag football or tackle football when my kids were young, and sometimes I would have these terrible players that could not do anything right, and they were willing to do anything anytime. Put me in, coach. Put me in, coach. I'm like, you're going to get slaughtered out there. And like, put me in. Put me in. And at the same time, I would have a kid with 10 times the ability that would say, like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want to go. I don't feel good today. You know, no, I got tackled. It's tackle football. And this thing would happen inside me, are you kidding me? Like this kid who cannot play and will make us lose for sure is ready to go in. And you who have all this talent, all this ability, all this stuff, you you don't even want to play. Why why are you wearing the jersey? Well, I like like the camaraderie. I like to be on the team. I just don't want to actually do the stuff. Oh, am I still talking about football? Never mind. Okay. So here's the surprise in the story. So the master says this, and this blew everybody away. Nobody saw this coming. This is a very weird story. The master says, take the talent from this one that doesn't want to play. He do not want to play. He do not want to be in. And give it to the one that just yielded me almost $10 million. Give it to him. Because he's a player. He's all in. He's all in for me, out of love for me. Now, the people hearing this story, this is when their jaw hit the floor. Because this was the first time that they had ever heard that a slave gets to keep the money. They get to keep the money. Oh, my gosh. They get to keep the money. I'm a slave, and I just made $3.6 million. No, no, no. I made $7.2 million. I didn't make $9 million. I made $1.8 million, and now it's my money. Plus the other one million eight. million. He's now you know, pushing $12 million. I know my math's terrible for Emmett and all the other CPAs. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, oh my gosh. They get to keep the money. They are slaves. They have no worth. They have no value. They have nothing. And now they have everything in that kingdom. Because of their love for the master. It just blew their minds. Now as we read this, we've heard this growing up. Perhaps if you're a church person, you always know it's going to be their money. They didn't know that. They lived for the king. And the king blessed them. Not because they thought the king would bless them, but that's who the character of the king is. And then Jesus says this, for all, for all those who have, more will be given. If you're working for me, if you're doing my stuff, don't you worry. You will have abundance. But from those who have nothing, for those who will not show up, those that do not stand up, those who do not um, basically go before the Father for me, even what they have will be taken away. You don't get to play at this Christian life. It's not It's not pretend. And Jesus here is speaking to two audiences at once. He, he's talking to the people there, but he's also talking to us in and, and a larger way. He's speaking in two ways, which makes it confusing, this next passage. He says, for as this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, don't mishear me. I don't think that Jesus is saying that anybody is beyond redemption. I don't think Jesus is saying that anyone is truly worth less or of not any value. But it's hard to get past this. What Jesus is doing is making an argument to say, look, you don't know when your life's going to end. And there will be a, a real conversation about the return on investment of your life in a whole, as a whole. Make sure your priorities are straight. And so for us, what he's saying here is do not hold on to what God has given you in this life for you and your family. It's not what it's given you. It's not. And there's a big lie in the American church that you just, you know, you just kind of everything about it is about you. It's not about you. It's about God. God is the receiver of all our praise. He's the audience of worship. We are the actors, the clergy and the band. We're the prompters. Worship's all about him. It's not about us. Christian life's about Jesus, about the cross, about the resurrection. It's not about us, not about what we get from it. It's about our love for him. And in case we missed it, after six parables, Jesus really gets going. I won't go into the whole thing because it's it's a little too pointed. So Jesus says this on the back end of this. uh, it's, It's all in chapter 25. I recommend it to you. He says, when the Son of Man, again... Himself comes in glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered, all of them before him. And he will separate people as one from another, as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, the sheep come, you that are blessed by my father, the the people who are engaged in his kingdom work. Whatever that is. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. That's our work. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. That's our work. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. You didn't push me out. You welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was sick. You took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. That's our work, church. And some of you are in places where you can do that and others of you are not. And so the church has to do it on your behalf. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when was it, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food? I don't remember that. Or thirsty gave you something to drink. And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family. Read that word with me, my family. That's everybody. You did it to me. All of these stories is to say, get serious about your priorities. Get serious about who you live for. And let's not pretend that Jesus didn't tell us very clearly that we are to be about the poor, the sick, the hurting, and that takes all of us with our talents and our money, our life, our heart. But it's all about our heart. Because here's the thing, the master is generous and is the source of all that we have, of all that we have. And here's the thing, I want to encourage you to be bold. I want you to live in to loving God with all that you are and leaving the results to him. I don't know what those results are. In this story, they're dramatic. I don't know what they'll be for you. But you see, the first two slaves, they're bold on behalf of the master. I mean, it it takes boldness to get out there and invest in ways you haven't invested before. They'd never seen that kind of money before. There's nothing in the story that makes us think that. But before we get... Too harsh. I mean, I I think that um, I know what it is to be the third slave. Yesterday, I was at the um, funeral of a colleague of mine, a friend of mine, uh, I've known since the early 90s. Uh, She was driving down I-40. I I think she looked down, looked up. All the traffic had stopped, and that ended her. She was my age, actually younger than me, Chantel's age. It was, it was a uh, heart-wrenching service yesterday over at our sister church, Church of the Servant. Great lady. And as we came in, we, we sat down, and there they have pews, not chairs, and so, you, you know, you have to sometimes snuggle if people are close to you, which I don't like. Um, and so I looked for the, you know, the most empty row I could find, and, uh, and the front row because it has extra leg room, which is great, and... Um, because it's all about me at someone else's funeral. And um, so I'm sitting down. I'm not alone in that. Don't, don't laugh at me. So anyway, those of you with long legs, you know what I'm saying. So I look, and there's these people, a space, more space, one guy, a lot more space. I'm like, sweet, there it is. So we sit down. We get about, I don't know, five, four, three minutes before the service. And I don't. we don't talk to people in those situations that we don't know. We just sit there unless they engage us. And the guy gets it. He looks at me, and he gets up, and he walks out. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I hope he's okay, you know. Is that a bathroom run? Is, can he not take it? Does he need to go? I mean, what, what goes on? He just left, and I watched him. I watched him all the way out. I watched him in the hallway. I watched him take a left, and I thought, well, he's, he's probably going home. He didn't say a word to me. And then about 30 seconds, it felt like, right before the service started, There were three people that came in. There was all that space now. They came and sat right on top of me. I was like, well, that's a fine how do you do. And um, I'm just, I'm sitting there and, and you know what happens. The guy walks back in. And he comes right by me and he looks at me like, what have you done? Like that was my spot. And there was plenty of room. And I was here. We had a nice space between us. What did you do? You messed it up. We had an unwritten agreement. And he looked at me like, and I was like, you know, like, what do you say? Like, you didn't tell me you were coming back. You didn't say when. You didn't say it's a potty break. I mean, I knew nothing other than he was there. He left. Is he coming back? Is he not coming back? You you know the boldness that I would have had to say to people I don't know? Uh, There was a man sitting here. I'm not exactly sure when he's going to be back, but you probably shouldn't sit here because if he comes back, he's going to think badly of me because we have this unwritten contract. You can't do that in the middle of a funeral. I mean, think about the boldness that would have taken. So I wasn't bold. I just sat there and he looked at me and I was like, I think that's the third slave. I mean, the third slave would have been considered prudent by others, wouldn't he? That's just what you do. You don't cause a scene. You don't make a stink. You don't make other people uncomfortable with your faith. You just get by. We all have a strong temptation to just live into the third slave. We don't mean any harm. We can to give God back what's God's. Nothing more. So the lesson is this. First of all, there are different gifts in the story. Everybody here has different gifts. So it's not about what you're given other than God knows what you need and so he gives it to you. And note that there are no, no talent people in the story. So if you're here, well, I don't have a talent, that's not how the story goes. Everybody gets talent. You're talented people. But notice, there's no clear instructions. He just leaves. That's all the story tells you. Master says, here you go, I'll be back. Don't know when. No timetable. Isn't that the Christian life? God says, here's your life, here's your talents, here's your gifts, I'll be back. And we go, when exactly? When is that test? When do I have to start studying? It's my favorite, favorite story on W.C. Fields. Uh, the last couple days of his life, he was a hardcore atheist, known as that. And, and somebody came in his room and he was going through the Bible. And they said, what are you doing? You're an atheist. He goes, looking for loopholes. <laughs> you never know. Because what we think of God is the most important thing about us. It just is. So God says, if you are trustworthy in a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. I will. I will. But here's the thing about commitment a life of commitment means saying yes to just one or two things in your life. A life of commitment means saying no. A thousand no's for the sake of a few precious yeses. Many of you all, like me, have come and we've knelt down here and we've prayed. Sometimes we've prayed our guts out to God. and We're like, God, I need this. I need that. I need healing from this. I need help with that. I got a kid off page. My job is terrible. You know, I'm not feeling good. Whatever it is, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. I don't know how I'm going to make my house payment. I need, I need, I need. And God says, Okay you got it. I'm going to provide for you everything you need. You need a house? Got you a house. You need a job? I'll give you a job. You need good health or health care? You got it. You need a car for your kids? You got it. You need um, a better transportation or uh, you know what we'll even we'll even go at this point all your basic needs are met but we're just going to go ahead and put stuff in savings uh, or a 401k or your pension plan Uh, I'm also going to help you with your parents because they're aging and I'm going to help you um, you know with really just fun stuff like vacations Uh, I'm going to give that to you too everything that you could possibly want I'm going to provide and then some more I'm going to give you even more and and as a way you know what never mind I'm going to give you even more And then, as a reminder, just as a reminder, I'd like for you to keep one of these back for me. Just one. Since I've provided for everything you need, and your wants, just just as a reminder that all of it comes from me anyway, this one, I want back. Not all of it, just a tenth. See, there's nine apples up there. Just this one. That's what Jesus says. That's what God says. And then, what happens? We get on Facebook, and somebody hasn't taken one vacation. They've taken two. But we already spent our money on our one vacation. But they invited us to go with them. And we think, well... God's all about fellowship. God wants me to be in fellowship. I'm not going to rearrange any of that. But, um, you know, I know God is all for fellowship of the believers. Or, hey, somebody else asked me to go to a really fancy dinner, but they're not a believer. God's all about evangelism. You know. Now, granted, we could actually have eaten out less down here. But what we don't, because we keep our life the same, And then, oh my gosh, on my way to that dinner with the people that was more expensive than I thought, I blew a tire. And I did not plan for new tires in here. But God wants me to have a good job. He gave me the job, so I need a way to get to the job. So I'm going to take out a piece of that. And then there's other things that happen. You know, somebody's going to the football game. We want to go to the football game. And... um, we didn't budget for it, it's not in any of there. Now, again, we could have, we could sell a car, some of us have three cars in a two-car garage. It's sort of annoying, but you know, we're afraid because we have a harsh master. And so we're like, Well, man, okay. I'm gonna just get into God stuff. Right? And we're like, Well, I mean, what is it for you? What are the things you worry about? Right? Oh, I talked to my financial planner, and they say, you know. Then I need to be given more in terms of my 401k. Or no, I talked to my insurance guy. I'm definitely going to be sick next year. You know, that's got to go. I need more insurance. And then, oh, kid needs braces. You know, God, I love you. Thanks for all of this. You're the best. You're so great. well, you, so you know, you're fantastic. And then we come to commitment Sunday say, Pastor Mark, you don't understand. My life is hard because when I got back from the OU game after the Thunder game, and I drove over to the OSU game because I had friends there, I was exhausted. And do you know what the beer costs now at the games? They're so expensive. But I'm here in church. I'm here in church because I love you. You're the best. So this is what I think of you. Dear God, bless this offering. Because this is my commitment to you. It would be funny if it wasn't so terrible. Right? We all are tempted by that other voice. It will change our life. We just not give it to the poor. We're not going to raise up the kids. We're not going to work against injustice. Because all this has to stay in place. When Jesus says, those of you who did not do this to these, you did not do it to me. This is what's important to me, he says he says. Look it up for yourselves. I'm not making it up. And really, I'd love not to teach these sermons. I never get very many phone calls on the back end or emails go, I sure did love that sermon. Thank you so much. I was really convicted. I'm now right with the Lord. Thanks to you. I don't get those. I'm normally like, I'm out. I like my thunder tickets. And that's my reality because people don't want to change the nine. So here's your action steps. You have to decide. Everybody has to decide. We really have to decide. Is our master good and generous? Well, that's the question. And if he is, invest accordingly. I mean, seriously, it's the smartest thing you can do in your whole life. If God is who we say he is, then invest accordingly into things that he says are important to him. It really is that that simple. And then we have to ask ourselves the question, which character am I in the story? By the way, you're not the master. We get to choose from the other ones. And here's the great news. If you're not the character you want to be, change it. Change it. You don't, I mean, you don't have to get stuck. You're free to change it today at our time of commitment. You just, just change it. Just change it. And, you know, of course... I want you to invest in the things of God with your finances. Of course I do. But here's the thing. Annie Dillard says it like this. How you spend your days is how you spend your life. So how are you spending your days? I mean, you still have this fantasy that when you turn X number years old or when you get to X deal that it's all going to flip for you. Just get past that. That never happens. How you spend today is how you spend your life. How you spend tomorrow is how you spend your life. It's your life. Your days become your life, don't they? Your days become your weeks, your weeks, your months, Months years, years, your life. So, with that, um, I need to tell you a few things about your commitments. One is, right now, we need a full-time youth director. Jared is going to go teach secondary education around the Tulsa area. Kids are very sad about that. He told them on Wednesday, we all know that. Um, but we need a full-time youth director. I need you to pray about that. And it might, if it's you, I need to talk to you. Uh, or James, our director of operations, we want to talk to you. We need a worship uh, assistant that gets everything ready, that what you do. We, we've been out without one of those for about a month now. It's really hard. We're doing a lot more with a lot less as your, as your team, as your staff. We need one of those. Uh, we also need a full-time director of communications uh, that does all of our marketing and all of our communications and all of our emails. We need those three people. We needed them about four weeks ago. Uh, we certainly need them now. So we want you to pray about that with us. We, we need your help with that. Um, staffing a church of our size is a very difficult thing. We need your help with that. Um, and we need your resources to be able to do those things um, so that we can continue to sing God's praises, serve God's children, and share his salvation until he comes back. For 1,053 weeks now, we have done this every week consecutively without fail for his glory, not ours. And we're thrilled to have you be a part of that. And we can only imagine what God will do with the rest of it and with you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray the prayer that our founder, John Wesley, gave us. That we are no longer our own. We belong to you. Put us to what you will. Place us with whom you will. Put us to doing. Put us to suffering. Let us be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full or let us be empty. Let us have all things, or let us have nothing, because you know best. We freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service, and now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, you are mine, you are ours, and we are yours. So be it, and the covenant with which we have now made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Now, with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.